Tina Muir, welcome to the Morning Shakeout podcast. Thank you so much for having me. This is this is going to be fun, I think. So in the spirit of keeping it real, which is, I know what you're all about and something we'll get into later in the show, I want to talk about something I just read on Strava that you just posted this morning. And here's an excerpt oh, no. from it. Um, <laughs> but within two minutes, I was back to limping and everything in me screamed to stop. Warning, warning, you are being stupid. Stop, stop. I think that was a dialogue going on in your head. And so I did and limped my way back home, frustrated and wondering what the heck is going on. So what the heck is going on? (laughs) I don't know. You literally got a peek into my inner mind. I walked in the door, went straight to my computer, opened it up. Type got type Strava in and then let my let my words come out of my brain. Um, but yeah, I what is going on? Well, I I mean, there's so much that goes before this question, but I'm starting to try and run again competitively, and uh, just seems to be having all kinds of issues. Uh, partly because I am not really giving myself the grace to realize that I did just have a baby, uh, and I'm finding it difficult not to compare myself to other postpartum women who, you know, seem to just snap back into place very quickly. But, um, yeah, I'm trying to get back to running. And, uh, as someone who used to run 90 miles a week, uh, it's easy for me to say I was only running 40. Uh, and that's where I'd kind of got up to about 40 when things started going wrong. And to me, it seems, you know, why would things break down at 40? But they are. And that's just kind of my new reality that I have to accept that uh, I am essentially starting from scratch. And I'm sure you have other questions related to that part. But um, yeah, so where I'm at is, I don't actually know. I'm trying to trying to figure that part out. <laughs> so we'll peel, the, peel back the layers on that here mm-hmm. in a bit. But for my listeners who don't know you that well, you were a world-class marathoner, roadrunner, athlete for Great Britain. You've run a 236 marathon. You've represented Great Britain internationally, uh, mm-hmm. but you recently had a baby. So let's start there. When when did you have your baby girl? How long ago was that? Um, and what have things looked like since? Uh, she is just, just about four months, four months and a few days. Um, so she was born in January. And uh, before that, I did have quite a long... Um, period off and then a period of, uh, kind of just running day to day. Um, but I, um, you know, uh, yeah, she was born four months ago. I started running maybe around the five week mark and I'm, you know, trying to get myself back to running, uh, as a competitive athlete eventually, but trying not to put the pressure on, which is not easy. I'm not sure if that answered your question. Uh, one thing I've noticed with having a child, a young child, is that my brain can't really hold too much and I kind of get, I forget things all the time. So I'm sorry if that didn't answer your question and I went off on a tangent. Um, but <laughs> I, I, I believe yeah. it's called mom brain. Yes. Yeah. It's definitely, it's definitely a real thing for sure. <laughs> um, what have been your biggest struggles since having your baby a few months ago? I think it is, uh, again, what I was talking about a minute ago, which is that it's very easy to treat this as an injury that you went through where you can kind of climb back to where you were, um, much quicker than you actually can. Um, I have been kind of treating it as, as if I had, you know, somewhat of a, somewhat of a major injury, maybe three to four weeks off and trying to build back up from there. But in fact, you know, as I've been told by hundreds of people, it took your body, nine months to get into this position, you need to give it nine months to get out. So it's, it's difficult not to look at, uh, the way that 
I used to be able to kind of build up from, you know, I would take time off after an injury or even a race and say, okay, I'm going to start at 30 miles. Then the next week I'll do 40. The next week I'll do 50 and kind of build up from there. Whereas now, um, you know, I had to start at 10 and then get to 12 and then 15 and kind of build up from there. But even five mile jumps might be too much for me right now. Or my husband and I were discussing this morning, uh, in the past, I'd always, you know, started running again and then I'd go five miles, six miles, seven miles, eight miles, nine miles until nine miles was my regular day. Whereas now I think I might have to accept that maybe five to six miles should be a regular day right now. Um, and instead include more days of running, but less distance. So it's just kind of a completely new body. You know, I have 20, 20, maybe more. I don't know. I don't actually weigh myself, but 20 ish pounds extra that I did not have on when I was last really running. Uh, so my body obviously has to deal with that and it's dealing with kind of all this damage and trauma, I guess it went through having a baby. So there's so many different things, but it's very easy to kind of approach it as I'm just going to build back up the way I always have when I just can't do that. And so I find that pretty hard to do. Let's hit pause on that for a second and go back a little over a year from now. Um, it was April, 2017 and you put up a blog post on your website, and I believe there was a video accompanying it, announcing your, in air quotes, retirement from from running. Mm-hmm. Um, you were going to stop running so that you could have a baby. So let's go back to to that announcement and the significance of it. Why did you need to stop running completely to have a baby when most women will, you know, certainly scale back their, their running Mm -hmm. as they get pregnant and try to go, you know, as long as their body will allow them to, but you just stopped completely and said, you know what, for at least this point of my life, I am not a runner anymore. Yeah. And what's even funnier is that, um, once I did get pregnant, I started building back up again, which is kind of not to any volume whatsoever. Like I said, my highest was about 30 miles, but most people get to pregnant and they're like, okay, I'm going to back off. And I was kind of going the other way. I'd taken the time off to get pregnant and now I was building up. But anyway, um, yeah, I, I mean, I, there was a obviously big, uh, medical physical issue that was going on in, which required me to, to t- take this move. And I'll talk about that in a second, but, um, a big part of it was cause I didn't know what else to do. I was kind of at a loss. I'd been digging around for two years, trying to figure out, uh, why I hadn't had a period in what was nine years. Um, and, uh, I was trying to, you know, understand what was going on. I'd been to see probably 12, 15 different experts, uh, medical professionals. No one really had an answer for me. I'd had every test under the sun done and, uh, nothing really was giving me any answers. Um, until I came across this book called no period now what, and you know, their solution was you need to stop running, stop exercising, gain weight, and it will come back. Now, as you mentioned, most people will kind of go the route of, I'm going to back off a bit. I'm going to eat a little bit more and I'm going to, you know, see what happens and take my time. But for me, because it had been so long and because, because I'd come very disenchanted with my running, um, I just felt like I was going through the motions. Um, I decided that if I was going to do it, I was going to channel all my competitiveness into it. So if I was going to do this, I was going to do it right. I didn't see the point of kind of backing off and seeing how it works. It's kind of, I guess, a bit like if you have an injury or a little niggle and you kind of you're like, oh, well, you know, maybe I'll just try and run through it for a while. When you know in your heart that 
that might not work and there's a big chance of it backfiring, you know, kind of what we were talking about this morning. Um, I decided if I was going to do this, I was going to do it right. And I was just going to stop right then and there. And uh, I was just going to do whatever I could to get it back as quickly as I could. And from what I had, the information I had gained, it was that um, stopping running was one kind of cheat, I guess, to uh, getting it back quicker in addition to gaining weight. So that kind of was the position I was in. And one day something just snapped inside of me and I actually, I actually did it, pulled the trigger. One thing you had just said is you were experiencing this disenchantment with running, which is interesting because just a few months prior, I believe, mm-hmm. correct me if I'm wrong, you had set a personal best in the marathon at CIM. You ran 236 December of, of 2016. How yep. long had that disenchantment been building and what do you think was causing it? Yeah, well, um, in, and even more than that, I had run that PR just a few months prior and I had had a discussion with my husband I mean, a few weeks before I made this decision and he had said, like, I think you're ready for a big jump. You know, I really think 232, 233 is within your grasp. So, you know, we and my husband's very conservative with his, um, you know, outlook on running. He always is kind of that person who doesn't say it unless he really believes it. So he'd even said that. So I even knew that there could be a big PR coming um, and I had a, a marathon to do it. Gold Coast were flying me out there. I even had this race in mind. Um, but yeah, it, it kind of started, I had accomplished my, what I called number one running goal, which was, as you mentioned earlier, to represent Great Britain in a world championships. I'd done it twice, uh, well, running the world championships once and the European championships once. And it was after that time I started noticing, I felt a little bit lost. And I think a lot of runners can resonate with this or, you know, we can all resonate with this on something in that you've been striving for it, you know, day after day. Uh, for most people, I think it would probably be like a Boston qualifier. Um, and then they run in the Boston marathon and then you're kind of left feeling, well, what now? Like it's, it's very, it's a very strange place to be in, I guess for an Olympian, you know, if they get their gold medal, you hear a lot about the depression they go through because they're kind of a bit stuck. And I'm not saying, you know, I obviously could have shot higher. Um, but I just felt a bit lost kind of where the next goal was. And even though I had like time goals in the marathon and in the 5k and, you know, half marathon, I wanted to run faster. It just didn't have that same lure that the, that one goal of running in a Great Britain jersey had for me. So I felt a bit lost. And, you know, I'd said to my husband a few times, I think the first time I remember saying it to him was in July uh, of 2017. And I said to him, um, Oh no, it would have been 2016. Uh, I said to him, I don't know if I want this anymore. And he said, Oh, you know, you're just a bit out of shape. This was after I'd taken some time off. You're just a bit out of shape. You know, you're just struggling. And I was like, yeah, I know, but like, I've never said I don't want to, it's always been, I can't. Um, and so that thought was in my head, but then it just kind of built and built and built. Um, until one day I just couldn't ignore it anymore. And when did the desire to start a family come into the picture? I think, to be honest, the family part had was in a kind of an easy way for me to, I was worried, I talked about this in a podcast I did on my own podcast a few weeks ago, um, how it was an easy way for people, I thought people would judge me and say, what are you doing? Why are you throwing your talents away? You're so stupid. Like, why would you, you know, you've got this ability and you're not even using it. So I think family was an easy way for me to fall back on that. But at the same time, my sister had just had a baby um, in 
February 2017. So I got to see this niece of mine and, you know, really um, see what I was missing out on and, and very aware of the fact that the amenorrhea meant that I could not have a baby, even if I wanted one. Um, and I didn't know at the time how it was going to affect my fertility. I didn't know if it was going to take 10 years to get it back. And so it just kind of made this perfect storm where um, it gave me something to focus on instead. So rather than stepping away from running and saying, well, what now? Well, now I had a new goal, something that I wanted, you know, to focus on and kind of uh, overtake the running thoughts was um, that I wanted to start a family and I was going to do everything I could to get that. So I'd say it really got into my head when I uh, went home to England and met my niece. Um, that was when it really kind of was like, okay, this is this is it. This is time. And did that excite you as much as representing Great Britain at an international level did? Not initially, because I had to kind of keep in my mind that I didn't know how long this was going to take. When I first went to the doctors, after I told them I'd stopped running, they said to me, it's going to take three to six months. You know, I kind of swanned in there thinking that they were going to say it would be back within a month. And they said three to six months. So once they said that, it kind of made me take a reality check to say, look, this could take six months before you even get your cycles back. So, and I did not want to be in that situation that a lot of uh, particularly women get themselves in where they're kind of obsessing over it and every month they're thinking about it more and more and more. So I knew I had to kind of keep my feet on the ground. So I, that forced me to kind of keep, um, a, well, whatever happens mindset. And honestly, I'm not sure how long I could have held that for, uh, knowing how driven I am, uh, had it been, had it taken me longer to get pregnant, had it taken me longer to get my cycle back, I'm mm -hmm. not sure I would have been able to keep that mindset, but thankfully for me, it did happen quite quickly. So initially I wasn't that, I wasn't as driven towards it, um, but I think I would have been given it more time. <laughs> now, obviously, you knew at that point that you hadn't had a period in nine years, but how aware were you of the consequences of that as far as it relates to your ability to being able to eventually have a baby, whether it was at that time or further down the road? I didn't know anything. I mean, I I tried to read up on it, but there wasn't really much around. Um, I did find again that book, which was very helpful. And uh, that book in there, they said that you're not affecting your long-term fertility. However, you are obviously doing damage to your body uh, by not having a cycle, especially your bones as a runner. Um, but long-term, before that, I had no idea. And um, and that that was yeah a big part in the reason I decided to do it then because I was thinking, okay, I'm coming up on 30 years old. Um, let's say this takes me five years to get it back. Uh, well, it had taken my mum five years to uh, conceive me. So you know, I started thinking to myself, well, that's closing in on 40 now. So um, I'd rather kind of see what see where it's at right now rather than kind of put it off and then have regrets of why didn't I do this earlier. So there really wasn't much out there. I think there's more starting to come out now. Um, but at the time I had no idea what the long-term effects of fertility were. And it seems to be a taboo topic, especially amongst athletes. People just don't want to talk about it in your experience, in your opinion, how prevalent is amenorrhea amongst women, especially those who are competitive athletes? Mm -hmm. I think it's much better now. Uh, I, I think there's even been a difference in this last year. 
um, of people actually, you know, like you said, it not being so much of a taboo topic and it's being discussed a lot more, which is good. Um, but uh, I had no idea how widespread this problem is, but I think it's very, very common. But the interesting thing is I've noticed that there aren't that many that I know of unless they're just not admitting it. Uh, elite and high level athletes who, um, aren't getting their cycles. A lot of college runners, but that would kind of make sense because, uh, college runners, you know, tend to be, uh, not quite sure of what they're doing, maybe restricting calories, things like that, and making some mistakes that might cause it. But from what I've seen, actually, most professional athletes do get their cycles regularly, um, which was more difficult for people like me to admit that this was going on when, um, you know, I could see everyone else around me was okay. But one thing I've noticed is that, you know, outside of the elite level, any anyone who is competitive or even even anyone who is recreationally just running, you know, more than they used to, uh, it's very common. Uh, I'd probably, I've, well, I've definitely had thousands of women reach out to me, but I'd say a, quite a large percentage of women uh, have gone through this in some capacity uh, in their transition to become more of a serious runner, be it whatever level that may be. And everyone's situation is different, I'm sure, but what general advice would you give to women in the same position that you are? Or similar yeah. position. I mean, I think the first thing I would say is to try eating more. Um, I kind of wish I had given myself some time of gaining weight and eating a lot more. It wasn't that I wasn't eating much and it wasn't that I was restricting, but I wasn't eating enough, I don't think. So I would have, um, I would tell someone to try that first and, you know, not be afraid of gaining weight or a number on the scale. Uh, but just see whether that works. And if it doesn't, um, yes, stopping running is probably the quickest way you can do that uh, in addition to weight gain. Uh, but I would say that remember that it's only temporary. That was one thing I had to keep in my mind that, you know, we as runners in whatever situation it may be, you know, maybe you get like an injury and uh, you get a stress fracture and someone says you're out for a month or this situation, you know, you have to stop running and you don't know how long it's going to be in our heads. We kind of make it this we blow it out of proportion, make it this big thing of, I can't believe I'm going to have to take a month off. And, and in reality, it doesn't, it doesn't really work out as long as you think it is. You might think, you know, a month is a long time or a few months is a long right. time or even a year, but it's not when you look at, you know, your 80 years of your life. Um, so I'd say, remind yourself it's only temporary and you can always go back on your decision. You can always get a month in and say, you know what, this isn't for me. I'm going to, I'm going to go back to running, but the chances are, if you've gone that far, you're going to keep going again, like an injury or even like a race where you've, uh, you know, got to a certain point, you know, I've come this far, I'm not going to give up now. So, um, try it and, uh, you know, remember that this is, this is not going to last forever. You, running will always be there for you whenever you do get the opportunity to return. Yeah. And I think that's a great advice. I think runners, men and women, regardless of age, a lot of us can be hardheaded, right? I mean, mm -hmm. and the same sort of thing does apply to injuries. A lot of times people don't want to take off two weeks because I got, I can't miss two weeks of running. No, it's like two weeks in the grand scheme of things is nothing. Um, mm -hmm. you know, even a, a month, as you said, in the grand scheme of things is, is nothing. And I think if we could all take that advice at various points of our running lives, we'd all be better off for it. So I, I appreciate your, wisdom there. Um, mm -hmm. not to, not to stay totally on this topic, but when you did make that announcement that you were going to retire, 
via your blog. It got, I mean, it made a lot of waves in the running community. It got picked up by mm-hmm. ESPN. Uh, Runner's World did a big piece on it. Were you surprised at the attention and the reaction that it received? Yeah, you're forgetting People Magazine, the classiest one of all. <laughs> <laughs> no. not, a, not a publication I read. I read regularly. That's how I missed that one. Sorry about that. No, no that was the. I'm just. I'm yeah, just no, I know. That was the funniest one um, because, especially they did they did two updates on me, and the second one was like runner tina Muir is still not pregnant and i was like why are you updating the world like it's not like anyone is sitting there like refreshing every morning it's like a tabloid i know i was like this is this is not that interesting of a story but um no i had no idea it was going to blow up the way it did but i think the fact that it did kind of shows what i was saying about how widespread this actually is i mean granted some places are going to be just telling a story because they need to fill up their daily quota of stories. But um, I think a lot of the articles came out because someone at that publication was going through it and wanted to get the word out there because they were experiencing it as well. Uh, I had, I would say most of the people that reached out to me um, to write a story either knew someone who was going through it or had been through it themselves. So uh, I didn't know it was going to be that big, but I was, you know, happy to see that. And it was kind of, Another side goal of mine was uh, I said I wanted to make it as common as an ear infection with, you know, the way that you could actually say that it was a problem for you. And uh, I feel like I kind of made good steps towards that. And um, yeah, it was a bit of a strange situation and that I've kind of become like the amenorrhea girl um, (laughs) as my, you know, my name, but, um, or the no period girl, maybe, I don't know. You Um, You might need to change your social handles. Yeah. No, just yeah. no period girl <laughs> or um well the, the funny thing is uh maria that um because i got pregnant i still haven't had one so i'm gonna be going on like 11 or 12 years by the time it comes back um <laughs> uh but yeah so it just it just blew up in a way i didn't expect and but more i'm more proud than the kind of viral the way it went viral initially that it got the conversations going and got people to actually start looking into it, which is kind of the goal, because I didn't want anyone to feel the way that I felt, which was kind of right. like I felt like a teenage boy. So I was more happy about that, that it, it kind of had a snowball effect in the long run. Hey, let's take a quick break to thank our sponsor for this episode. It is Mercury Mile. Mercury Mile fuses fashion and function for all runners by creating a personal shopping experience, regardless of where you are in your running journey. It's fun. It's super easy. I got my first box of gear a couple weeks ago, and I was really impressed by how well they nailed my style all the way down to the arm warmers. Super impressive. Here's how it works. Go to mercurymile.com and create a profile. Then you will pick a shipping date, and a few days later, you'll receive a curated box of incredible running apparel from a variety of brands that is put together by your own personal stylist. You keep what you love. You send back what you don't. Free shipping, free returns, no subscription necessary. It's as easy as that. Try it today at mercurymile.com and use the code THEMORNINGSHAKEOUT. That's all one word when you check out and you'll save 10 bucks on your styling fee. My thanks to Mercury Mile for their support of The Morning Shakeout. Let's get back to the show. When you decided to quit running, did you feel like you were losing any part of your identity, even though it was temporary at the time? Honestly, no, I handled it better than I thought I would. The I think the reason for that was because it was my choice. Um, often when we think like someone like you or someone else puts their self in my shoes, you would, you would think that you really would struggle. 
but I think that's because we compare it to when we've had injuries and we've had to step away. Whereas this was a conscious decision and I, I had control of it. I was saying I am choosing to stop running, which I think made a difference to an injury that forces you to stop when you're not ready. It's kind of like, um, quit while you're ahead thing. And so I think that gave me the power to, um, feel confident about my decision. And then also the fact that I kind of went into it saying, you know, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it right. I'm going to enjoy other things in my life. And, you know, I could eat all the crazy foods that I'd always, I mean, I'd eaten them in the past, but it had been like a special treat. Whereas now I've been like, you know what, this time I'm going to have whatever the heck I want, um, all day, every day. Cause I know it's just going to speed up the process. So that was fun. I could focus on that aspect, but obviously, yes, a big part of me, did feel a bit, uh, a bit different. I'd say more so, um, because I was trying to start my own business, uh, running for real. And I was also trying to kind of make a name for myself. And I thought people would suddenly not want to listen to me or not respect me because I was a, a has been, or I was someone who used to run fast and obviously didn't run love running enough to want to keep in the sport. So I was worried that people were going to judge my image and no longer want to listen to what I had to say, which was actually not the case at all. But that's the only part of my identity I'd say struggled was kind of knowing what to call myself without mm -hmm. saying I was an elite runner anymore. What were some of the most eye-opening things that you experienced during your time off from running? I think it just kind of taught me to appreciate who I was. Um, I think I thought that a lot of friends and family would not really know what to talk, uh, about when they saw me because, of, because they didn't have running and, and you know, that situation when you are again injured and you go up to some friends and they say, Oh, how's the running going? And you're like, please yeah. don't ask me about that. I just don't <laughs> want to talk about that right now. Um, so I was worried that it was going to be that kind of situation, but it wasn't. And actually a lot of my friends and family commented that they, they had their Tina back, um, that I'd been kind of running had ruled my life for so many years. And they enjoyed the fact that I could, they could actually, you know, spend time with me, with me having all my energy and I could actually be engaged in a conversation. So, um, it taught me to appreciate who I am as a person and appreciate that those people who love me, love me regardless of whether I run or not. In fact, they probably love me a little bit more when I don't run much because they um, can have more more of me, I guess. Um, so that was the biggest thing. And then I also ended up, I would say, honestly, this is hard for me to believe, I ended up more confident in my body uh, once I went through that than I was even at my peak. Because when I was at my peak, I'd still, when I look back on photos of myself now, I think, God, I was so thin. Um but at the time I still felt like I was bigger than everyone else. And I still was like looking at myself in the mirror, like wondering what I needed to improve or what needed to be better. Whereas after this, I was kind of like, well, this is me right now. Um, you know, I'm, I'm the person I am inside, not the way I look. And, and so, yeah, it just kind of helped me to switch my focus from aesthetics to kind of internal, like who I, who I am. So it sounds like you came into better balance as a yeah, whole person. Sure. Definitely. Back to that blog post. And I promise this will be the last bit that I pull from it. Um, no, you wrote I, in there, I believe deep in my heart that someday, hopefully after children, I will make it my mission to come back stronger and faster than ever. A new sense of appreciation, <clears throat> excuse me, and love for the sport. And we've touched on this a little bit, but 
as you are starting to come back and you are struggling with certain things, but you've had some little victories along the way as well. What will be different about your approach this time around as you get back into training and not just running and working toward becoming Tina Muir, the athlete again? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, this is this is uh, interesting that you mentioned that because it's something I have been thinking about myself a lot lately, um, what I want to do differently this time, because it's essentially like getting a, a part two, you know, uh, a try again you can start from scratch because that's kind of where I am right now. Um, (laughs) beginning after a year of pretty much not doing much or anything, uh, it is that way. So I have been thinking about it. I mean, the number one thing that comes to my mind is I do not want to let my body get to the point where the place where it was, where I didn't have a period where I wasn't in a healthy cycle, um, with regards to my uh, hormones. I want to make sure that always stays the key. And then I think it's kind of remaining humble with, uh, with running and, and appreciating it as along the way. I mean, even with this kind of writing into Strava about how I'm feeling, that's kind of me sharing as I go through this journey, whereas it's, it's too tempting as, um, competitive runners to kind of hide away and then suddenly pop up when you are fit and healthy and running well and say, Oh, you know, I went through loads of struggles, but you know, I didn't tell anyone about it, but I, it was there. Trust me, it was there. So I think being more transparent with people about what I'm going through, not hiding my training, not that I was hiding it before, but I was very careful not to say what I was doing, but I would like to get to the point where I'm, you know, I'm just saying, look, this is exactly what I'm doing. This is where I'm at and, uh, and see what happens. And I think that's going to help me keep the pressure off because that's one thing that, uh, I found I did a lot of, and I think most runners tend to do is, is feel this huge expectation of having to perform. Whereas now having a daughter, I can say to myself, you know what, at the end of the day, if I don't run well today, she's not going to care whatsoever. If I run a world record, she doesn't really care. Um, to her, you know, me crossing the finish line is, is the same, whether I run, you know, 220 or in a marathon or three, 50 in a marathon she's not going to care whatsoever so I think it's just kind of keeping that um reminder that I run because I enjoy it not because I need to do it to get the the reward or the satisfaction of people kind of complimenting me so I think those are the biggest things I'm trying to change this time around you've mentioned Strava a couple times I have certainly here and you're posting your training there you're posting some other thoughts like you did this morning what are the benefits and traps to such a platform and being able to share not only the numbers behind your workouts but the thoughts of what you're feeling afterward yeah um uh, and yeah i love strava i mean i'm a big fan of it um at first i was a little hesitant uh, to put things up there just uh for privacy sake and i think that's that's the first point of something you have to watch out for is um you have to be careful what you put up there they do have a privacy in a, a i think it's called the beacon no beacon is the letting someone know but it, they have a like a uh toggle you can put on where people can't see where you're starting but anyway uh if making sure that that is um on there is i guess is one thing you need to do but um i love the fact that you can you know be a part of a team i have my running for real team there so i can see what other people in my community are doing and how i'm how i'm kind of stacking up and i think it's quite nice for them to see me way down on the list and be like oh you know i'm ahead of her right now 
Um, and then I love that, you know, they have the post feature, which I know you, you use, and I definitely have been using lately to kind of share thoughts and, and have it like a journal. And, um, I'm really enjoying just kind of updating it each day. And, um, again, just showing people that there's no fluff, no, uh, bells and whistles here. It's just, this is what I'm doing. And, and you can either watch it or, you know, if you don't want to look, you don't have to look. Uh, and then I guess just the dangerous thing that I've noticed, and I don't know if you've been through this, Mario, as well, is that you have to be careful that you're not thinking too much about it while you're running. Um, I find myself sometimes thinking, oh, um, you know, I can't slow down the second half of this run because then that's kind of showing people that's the complete opposite everyone of what I'm telling it. them. Yep. Yeah, everyone's going to know that I'm slowing down or like when you're in a, you know, a workout, you might oh, everyone's going to know I blew up at the end here. So it can be very easy to feel, again, that pressure of you have to perform. But if you go into the mindset of having to perform every single run you do, you're heading for trouble because no longer are you listening to your body, but instead you're doing, you're letting, you know, your ego tell you what you should be doing, which is when we all get ourselves into trouble. So I think that's the biggest risk with Strava is that you have to remind yourself that, the people that are following you are following you because they're interested and they're happy for you, not because they, um, they want you to, you know, not cause they want to wait for you to fail and then laugh at right. you. So, yeah. yeah. And I think it can be really easy to fall into the trap of comparing yourself to others, right? Especially mm -hmm. those who are, you know, living close to you and maybe running some of the same routes and that can get mm -hmm. in your head as much as you can try to push it away sometimes. So it is a delicate balance between using it as like a training log and inspiration, but also making sure that you don't let it, um, you know, crush your own running and, and force you to do things that you probably shouldn't be doing. So yeah, I appreciate exactly. your perspective there. So, I mean, you're a lot of things, you're a wife, you're a mother, you're a runner. Um, you're also a your podcast host, blogger. Um, running for real is your thing. Um, it's a it's a business. It's you know it's a great podcast. I've been a guest on it. I've listened to many of your episodes. Um, what is running for real? How would you how would you define it? And what role does it play in your life today? It's a group of people who all love ice cream. <laughs> I'm partly joking, but partly not. No. <laughs> That's one of the questions I ask every person who joins the community is what's your favorite ice cream? So that's why I mentioned that. Um, <laughs> but what is running for real? Well, the whole concept behind it was, uh, I've mentioned this earlier that, um, it's very easy to put up a picture on social media and show yourself running well and, you know, everything is going great, but behind the picture, there's a lot going on, a lot of insecurities, a lot of struggles that we are afraid to admit because what do we see from everyone else? We see those same perfect pictures and we feel like we're not good enough or we want to show our lives off because we feel like everyone else's lives are perfect and ours are not. Um, so this is all about finding a place where you can be honest about things. You can, you know, show a photo of the chafing that you got on your legs from your 20 mile run or um, you can kind of admit um, a struggle that you're going through and no one's going to laugh at you. In fact, 20, 30 people are going to, you know, say to you, actually, I understand that. And, you know, the podcast aspect is, um, people often put, uh, elite runners, professionals, medical experts on this pedestal thinking that they are, you know, flawless. They never have anything go wrong. Everything is always great. And I wanted to kind of peel back that 
um, exterior and show that underneath they're just regular people who have the same struggles and fears as everyone else. So running for real is all about, (laughs) I say um, on the thing, being honest, being brave, and, you know, most of all, knowing that you're not alone. So it's just finding a place where people can uh, find others who are going through the same experiences as them um, and not being afraid to talk about it. And did things change at all for you when you did stop running um, to get pregnant and have a child and just weren't Tina Muir, the <laughs> the international, uh, you know, international level runner anymore? You were a Tina Muir mom sometimes sometimes runner still trying to figure out where she wants to go next. Yeah. 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 I think it it allowed people to see and even more, I've always been very honest and open, but even more a a real side of me, a human side of me to see that, um, just because I, um, um, you know, have run fast in the past doesn't mean I'm necessarily going to be in the future. doesn't mean that I am exempt from, uh, coming back or struggling with things that other pre- uh, postpartum women struggle from or while I'm pregnant, running at a pace or having to walk while I am running while pregnant, um, things like that. So I think it it has changed, but definitely for the better because it's allowed people to see the vulnerable side of me and uh, see that I too, you know, I'm going through the exact things, same things that they are and um, hopefully that they, um, we can all kind of work on it together to, to become better people. Now, along those lines, one of my kind of biggest points of contention as far as the greater running community as a whole goes is there is or seems to be this disconnect between the front of the pack and then the middle mm-hmm. and back of the packers. And I think you're doing a great job of closing that gap through running for real and the people that you have on your podcast and the things that you mm-hmm. get them to talk about. But why do you think that disconnect exists? I'm sure there are a number of, of reasons, but what are some of the fundamental um, issues at hand here? I think one of the biggest ones is that it started off as elite or high level athletes don't want to kind of give their, I don't want to say their weaknesses away, um, but I think it's that kind of competitive side of us that doesn't want our competitors to see what could be a weakness or what could be something that they could maybe use, not that anyone would, but um, something that could make them vulnerable that someone could um, use against them in in a race or uh, any other situation. So I think it started as that, um, that we kind of had elite runners had to kind of keep keep your cards close to your chest. And and so that involved kind of um, the rest of the running community because uh, they wouldn't want to say something to them that might get to back to their competitors. I don't know. That's maybe where I think it started. I'm not, I'm not really a hundred percent sure. Uh, but then I think other parts of it were that, um, at the other end of the scale, the, um, recreational runners put elite runners on this pedestal again, thinking that they are superhuman and they never struggle because they never show these things or never used to. I feel like, I feel like most elite runners are getting a lot better at showing some bad days, but because they never showed them, people thought they were just always, you know, out there running, thinking this was easy and, you know, this is fun and I love every step. And, uh, so it kind of made them treat them as if they were, you know, these global celebrities who, um, just weren't real people and everything was always perfect. And it just made it difficult to connect and difficult to, um, really understand them. You can admire them like a, you know, a great piece of art, but you can't 
see them as as someone that you can connect with. So um, I think that is, I think those are some of the biggest ones. I'm sure there are some other factors that come into it. Uh, but yeah, I'm trying very hard to, to break that, break that stigma down and show that um, it doesn't matter whether you're, you know, Kipchoge or you're Usain Bolt or whoever you are, you're um, still kind of worrying about some things that everyone else is worrying about too. What's exciting you in running right now? And I don't necessarily mean just the professional side of the sport, but running as a community, a culture, a, maybe a sport in general. Um, I like that we are, we do seem to be more open-minded about, um, I guess, differences that are coming along. I've interviewed a lot of people lately who are from different backgrounds. Um, Amelia Gappin, who is a, a transgender runner, um, Manal Rostam, who is a woman uh, who is doing things for women who run in cover. Uh, so I like that the running community is kind of opening these doors for people who traditionally weren't included. And, uh, you know, that's something that makes me quite excited, thinking that uh, even if the rest of the world isn't able to accept different people, different cultures, different things, it's nice that the running community is is embracing that and being very welcoming to all kinds of different people from different backgrounds. So I think that's something that I haven't really mentioned before, but that does make me me happy to be a runner and, and proud that we uh, can rise above kind of the, the silly issues that are sometimes uh, used to hold things against people. I want to get into the specifics of podcasting a bit, or at least your evolution as a podcaster. You started a couple of years ago, uh, with a show for Runners Connect, uh, which you eventually moved on and brought onto your own platform. How have, how has your own podcast evolved in terms of the guests that you have on and the things that you talk to them about? Um, I think, I mean, the days that I was at Runners Connect, I was, I was very much just learning, um, about, you know, how to interview people, what signs to read, uh, to know when to ask, you know, when they finish talking, uh, some people take long pauses and things like that. Um, but I've really tried to make sure that across the board since the start, I've included a variety of people because it's, it's great to hear from, you know, elite runners, or it's great to hear from recreational runners or, uh, medical professionals or whatever it may be, but people have different interests and it's, it's good to kind of think outside the box, um, and try and pick up people who maybe, maybe are doing something amazing, but haven't been appreciated or haven't been kind of celebrated or noticed by the uh, worldwide media yet. So if I can get those people and get them to share their stories, and that's something interesting and something different. Um, but I'd say that myself, I've just kind of learned to ask the questions that I want to know about. I think in the past, I was very much um, asking questions that I felt um, I felt people I don't know. It was like the the token questions, I guess. Whereas the more you can just ask ask things that you're curious about, uh, the more that it kind of gives you a bit of a, a different focus to other other podcasts and other channels um, that might ask that same person um, some questions. So I'm not sure if that answered your question. No, it does. Um, but yeah. <laughs> Who have been some of your most interesting and enlightening guests so far? Not to put you on the spot, oh, but I'm putting you yeah, on the spot. There's, there's, <laughs> I know there's so many. I'm trying to look at my calendar quickly. Um, 
I think my most interesting one was um, Hayo Sapelt, who was the German journalist who broke the um, sure. doping story. Yeah. He, I don't know if you listened to that one, but he literally, I called him on the phone and um, I said, oh, how long, is there a time limit of how long I can talk to you? Thinking he would say, you know, 30, 40 minutes. He's like, I can give you 15 and <laughs> like from now. And I was like, oh my God, like I had so many questions I wanted to ask him. So my mind was just, that was definitely my most challenging one to mm-hmm get every drop I could out of that 15 minutes. That was definitely an interesting one. Um, I've mentioned Cara Goucher many times before. I, I absolutely loved that interview. Same with Sally Bergeson. Um, this guy called Mario Freoli. I don't know if you've heard of him. It's <laughs> um, boring. He's boring. Was, yeah. <laughs> there was, um, I don't know, there's been so many. And actually another favorite recently uh, interesting one was uh, Dave Collins, who was um, the performance director mm. for British Athletics. He was actually fired from his job. Um, and he kind of openly talked about the situation with British Athletics. He was just fan- fascinating in a, in a different way when it comes to sports psychology. So there's a lot of, uh, I try and really go to the people who um, aren't afraid to kind of say what they're thinking. And, and those are a few who were, were good with that. Has anyone had a really profound personal impact on you and your life after talking to them? Um, personal impact. I don't know. As far as getting you to see something in a different way or maybe to change something in your own life. I guess, um, it hasn't come out yet, but I just mentioned, um, I recently interviewed, uh, Amelia Gappin, Mm -hmm. um, talking about transgender running. That's something I'd never really considered or never even thought about. I mean, it was a suggestion by one of my listeners, uh, to bring her on the show, but it's something I'd never even considered um what life would be like for her as a as a transgender runner um and um yeah so i would say probably that one and in addition to your running for real podcast you've had a daily one that's been going out on occasion what was the impetus behind kicking that off well the biggest reason was um one of my close friends james dunn who's the owner of kinetic revolution Mm -hmm. was bugging the heck out of me because he was like, you need to do this. You need to do this. And so one day I said, fine, <laughs> I'll do it. Um, so that was part of it. But I think part of it was, I just felt like it was a, a good way for me to connect with my audience, to kind of put content out there without too much effort. I mean, with a baby, I don't have that much time to do work anymore. And so um, a daily podcast meant that I could switch on the mic and talk into it for 10 minutes. And then that's done rather than spending an hour on a blog post or, um, you know, taking extra time to kind of work on something that might, uh, might reach someone might not. Whereas this way I could put this out there. I can always refer back to it. If people want to listen, great. If they don't, then fine. You don't have to, but it's a good mix of kind of me being honest about funny things that happen in my life. And, you know, here's how to run in humidity. So just kind of a good balance. Mm -hmm. Last question, moving forward, what does the future hold for Tina Muir, ideally? Oh, I'm glad you said ideally, because I have absolutely no idea where it's going. <laughs> I'm trying to figure that out. Um, I mean, I think the priority of VC is going to be Bailey, um, being the best mom I can be to her, not to be cheesy. Um, but I definitely would like to come back to running. Um, I still am not sure if it's going to be a proper I don't want to say come back. I don't like that word, but a proper um, return to competitive running, 
either do it after her and then have another one or have another one and then come back. I'm not sure which way it's going to work yet. We haven't kind of thought that through enough yet. So somewhere along the line, I would like to get another Great Britain jersey in my hands, um, knowing that I've earned it uh, postpartum, run faster than I did before postpartum. And just know that I've made an impact as a as a runner. I mean, I think the, the goal for me, job-wise, I would love to be like a keynote speaker flying around the country, kind of, um, you know, helping to connect with people, motivate people, uh, going to all the running events and just being there to, to help others. That's, I think, what I like doing the most is, is helping other runners to feel confident about um, who they are and what they're doing. So that would be the that would be the ideal goal. I love it. Tina, thank you so much for your time today. Really enjoyed the conversation. And before we wrap it up, where can my listeners connect with you online and otherwise? Yeah. Um, well, I, I'm all, all the usual sh- social media channels, um, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, my Instagram is TinaMuir88 because um, someone took my original. Um so Tina Muir everywhere else. And um, I do also has, have, as I've mentioned, the Running For Real community, which is a private group, but it's free to join and everything, uh, which you can find at tinamuir.com. That's T-I-N-A-M-U-I-R.com forward slash superstars. And then finally, you mentioned my podcast, which you can find on any of the usual podcast places. Which I would highly recommend listening to. You've had some great guests and you're very skilled you. at your craft. So keep up Thank the great you. work. Thanks so much. This was fun. And that's a wrap on this week's episode, which was brought to you by Mercury Mile. Go to mercurymile.com, create a profile, then you pick a shipping date, and a few days later, you'll receive a curated box of incredible running apparel that is put together by your own personal stylist. You keep what you love, you send back what you don't. It's free shipping, free returns, and no subscription necessary. It's as easy as that. Unfortunately, that offer is only available to U.S. listeners right now, so I apologize to those of you tuning in from abroad. But for those of you who do live in the U.S., try it today at mercurymile.com and use the code THEMORNINGSHAKEOUT when you check out and save 10 bucks on your styling fee. Big thank you to all of you listening to this. I hope you enjoyed it. If you'd like to support the show, the easiest thing you can do is subscribe to The Morning Shakeout on Apple Podcasts or wherever you consume audio content and leave a rating and a review. Only takes a minute or two, but it has a big impact and it helps other listeners discover the show. You can also support my work directly on Patreon by going to themorningshakeout.com slash support. Much gratitude to those of you who have already done so. It means a lot to me. And finally, a special thank you to my audio engineer, John Isaac of bearsrecords.com, who does all of my editing and helps this show sound as good as it does. Don't know what I'd do without you, John. All right, that's all I've got for this episode. Until next time, I'm Mario Fraley, and thank you for listening to the Morning Shakeout Podcast.